0: And I will invite the rest of you to go ahead and take your seats and turn to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. And it hit me while I was standing back here that I am getting ready to do a message on prayer and I haven't taken any time to pray today. That I have been running around and having to pick up furniture, deliver furniture, drop lumber off, uh, drop off a amp, um, say goodbye to some people who are moving, pick up somebody else's dog from the groomer, uh, try to get here and get set up, try to get changed, forgot my clothes and my Bible at the house, had to run back there, get those, and come back and I'm back here going like, I'm about to preach on the importance of prayer and our relationship with God, and I haven't taken, except for the maybe two minutes I then spent in prayer while we were singing to pray. So I want you to know that this message uh, is going to come off as hard-hitting, but please understand I'm preaching it to myself, and I'm hoping that you listen in and maybe you can glean from it as well. I in no way have this figured out, and I say try to say this every week, but we are in this together. Uh, We grow and we disciple each other. We We learn together, we go to God's word together, we sing together, we we help people move together, we deliver groceries together, but it has to be together. So with that being said, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us, that you remain so faithful to us. Even though, speaking for myself, my brain can be in so many different places. So Lord, I pray that it is your spirit that guides us this evening as we go through your word, that you would penetrate our hearts as only your word can. Lord, that we would be, as James says, looking into a mirror of your word, showing us the things that need to change. But Lord, I pray we don't walk away not willing to make the changes that you ask of me, that you ask of us, but that we would be surrendering ourselves to you daily so that we can become more like you as we represent you here on earth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 6, and we are continuing uh, what we started in the fall, but even back a year ago, or almost a year ago, we started in the book of Matthew. Uh, And we are calling this whole series, Through Matthew, Your Kingdom Come. And at this chapter, chapter 6, we are looking at uh, what Jesus is describing how we should live, and we are just looking at these different spiritual disciplines, although that's not what he calls it, uh, these spiritual disciplines that we need to put into our life, but as we have mentioned all along going through this message, that Jesus is continually pointing out that it is about our hearts, that it is where our hearts are that matter, that the doing of stuff, and like I said a couple times, but last week, I mentioned that we have believed or we have bought into, not all of us, but spiritual busyness means spiritual growth, and that just is not the case. That it's about where the heart is, the motives of the heart. And that's what Jesus continually goes back to. And as we read through this passage, as we did last week, and he's saying, you hypocrites, because you are acting that you, like you know God, but in reality, you do not know God. God, And when he talks to the spiritual leaders, and when he talks to those who thought of themselves as higher spiritually, looking back on it now, we see that he's saying, you say that you know the most about God, but you do not recognize the Messiah when he's standing in front of you confronting you. So Jesus is continually going back to the heart and where the heart needs to be. And then when we look at the importance of spiritual disciplines in our life, uh, we have to go back to a couple weeks ago, and by the way, this is going to be, last week we introduced this passage, this week I'm calling this prayer part one, next week is prayer part two, and I've been telling people, like, really come next week. Uh, Next week, it'll be a special service as we walk through the Lord's Prayer and what exactly it means. And we're going to take times throughout the message to uh, sing. And we're going to take times throughout the message to stop and to meditate and explain what all of these things mean. I've been telling people this last week, hey, uh, I don't want you to miss church. But if you're going to miss church miss uh, this week and make sure you're there the following week. And I didn't know how many people thought I said, hey, miss church this week. I got to oh, can you watch my dog? We're, we're going to Myrtle Beach. Or, hey, we're, we're heading to Disney. Or, hey, I was like, I didn't mean it. I meant I'd rather have you there both. But as we look at this prayer, and so this week is prayer one. Next week is prayer number two. What does it mean to actually pray the Lord's Prayer? What is Jesus actually teaching and instructing us? And then we get into what does it mean to actually Fast. So as we talk about this prayer and fasting, I want to go back to the message David Barton preached a couple weeks ago where in John 15, and he talked about abiding in him. What does it mean that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that in order to bear fruit and fruit that lasts, we must be plugged in properly to the vine. That it is the vine that supplies the nutrients. It is the vine that supplies everything that we need in order to bear fruit. And I love the verse where in John 15 it says, fruit that will last. The eternal fruit can only come when we are plugged into the Savior. And so when we look at these passages, when we look at these spiritual disciplines, what we're really finding out is how we abide in him. And when we look at this practice, when we look at this discipline of, of prayer, this time alone with God, this is how we commune with God. This is how we fellowship with God. This is what it means to abide in him. So I'm going to read verses uh, chapter 6. we We're going to go back and read, start in verse 1, read through verse 8, and then we will be focusing in verses 5 through 8. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now there is a lot to go through as far as what he is saying and what he isn't saying. There are many passages on prayer in the Bible. There are uh, many passages that we see Jesus, uh, the apostles, the church leaders, uh, praying in the New Testament, uh, instructing what prayer should look like in the church. Uh, There are many different ways. So this is not an exhaustive look at what prayer is. Again, we have to make sure we go back to that umbrella of Jesus is asking them about their motives. He is asking them where their heart is when they go to pray. Uh, So he's saying, yes, you should go and be alone. Does that mean you can no longer pray when other people around you? No, absolutely not. We see that done throughout the bible we see jesus praying before he is blessing the bread and the fish as he is handing it out we see jesus praying with his disciples at the last supper we see so we see public prayer being done what he's saying is where is your heart he also says not to use a lot of words that doesn't mean your prayer has a time limit It just means that when you pray, are you just saying repetitious words for the sake of saying repetitious words? Are you babbling like the pagans? Meaning, are you just saying a bunch of stuff that doesn't even really make sense? Are you saying stuff that nobody else can understand? Are you saying stuff just for the sake of saying stuff as if you're uh, playing—my wife and I were at one church, and we we started playing what we called um, Christian bingo and it was almost like a, please don't do this, by the way, but it was like, how many words are you, the, the, the church, how many words do they say as if they had some quota to say as much Christianese as possible through a service? Uh, if you notice, we try not to do that as much as we can here. Um, But it was like, hey, whoever can pray, and here's your checklist of words you need to say while you pray. That's babbling, basically. You're just saying repetitious things for the sake of repetitious things. You're trying to show off how much you know while you pray. That is what Jesus is saying is, great, you're doing that in front of people because you want to be seen by people. You got what you wanted. People saw you. Yahoo. What he's saying is, no, I want you to put your heart, I want you to try to see how I see I've in conversations this week, saying people saying, well, I, you know, I'm always in a spirit of prayer. Great. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us to never cease praying. Never stop being in that spirit of communion with God. But what I want to talk specifically about tonight is your personal alone time with God. So point number 1, I have two points and three questions. And if you know me, you know all those questions have sub points with questions in them as well. But two points. Point number one, and I hope you're taking notes. Point number one, Jesus is saying that prayer is important. I could hear the gasp at this shocking revelation. Point number one, Jesus is saying that prayer is important. And our first thought is, yes, of course he is. But do our lives demonstrate that we understand that Jesus is saying that prayer is important? Michael J. Wilkins, in uh, one of his books, he wrote, the motivation of private prayer is the intimacy of communion with God in our heart, which is at the center of all prayer, whether it happens to be given publicly or privately. So I want to look at the... Importance of prayer by people that we consider godly and God-fearing through the Bible. And again, don't worry, this is not an exhaustive list. The first one that comes to mind, and I love this example, and I love thinking about what this was like, was Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, and it said they would walk with Jehovah in the garden. When I think of what fellowshipping, this this communing with God should look like, I I go to that picture of walking and and talking and discussing with the Creator in His beautiful creation. That beautiful picture, I was asking different people a couple years ago when I first started thinking through this, and is that the perfect picture of actual worship? Is Adam and Eve going for a walk with Jehovah, the great I am? That their focus was on him, that they could look around and and know that he created everything and everything that they saw pointed back to his incredible design and plan. But also realizing that even though they had that, they sinned against him. That even though they had that fellowship where they walked in the cool of the evening in this beautiful garden, they still sinned against him. And even though they sinned against him, God provided a way for them to have forgiveness as he does with you and with me. And they were forever reminded of what they did just like you and I have ways of forever reminding that we sin. The next one is Moses that Moses would go off by himself. He would climb a mountain. He would spend time with God. He would spend time hearing from God to know how to properly lead. And as we always talk about, all of you here have influence in God's sovereignty. He has given you influence, whether it's over four people or 400. You have influence that God in his sovereignty has given you. So every single person that's sitting here has the calling to lead somebody with their influence. And Moses, in order to properly lead, had to go and spend time with God privately, communicating with him one on one. And Moses still fell. But he continually went to God. We look at Exam, Elijah, Elisha, going alone to pray with God, going alone to talk with him. Daniel, three times a day, would pray, said his knees were like that of a camel because of how much time he would spend in prayer. Spending time in prayer uh, almost, and should have, cost him his life. But instead, it cost a king to turn his heart to God. A uh, uh, year ago, we were going through Nehemiah and Ezra, Nehemiah is this great example of one-sentence prayers when things are going bad. But Ezra would go, and he'd had everybody stand up, and they would read the entire law with everyone standing, probably so they didn't fall asleep. But out of reverence and respect, they would stand, and they would go. And these priests, so many people throughout the Old Testament we see, going and spending alone time with God. And then Jesus comes to earth, and here is Jesus, who is God, knows God, has only lived with God for eternity And yet, we see Jesus saying, I've got to go be alone with my father. Yes, he prays. Yes, he preaches, but it's usually followed by him going off by himself or taking a few people with him to go and communicate and commune and fellowship with God. And I remember thinking when I was younger, why does he have to go pray? Why does he have to go spend time alone? Because as an extreme extrovert, that sounds terrible. And he's going off by himself. Why? Because of his closeness with God. That private prayer is a reflection of our closeness to God. When we go through the book of Acts, we see in Acts chapter 2, all these people coming to know the Lord, that the Holy Spirit is active and going and moving, and people are coming to know the Lord. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is still just as active today as he was in Acts chapter 2, but we just don't rely on him like we used to. But that whole thing in Acts chapter 2 only happens because of the time spent in prayer from the church leaders in Acts chapter 1. Leonard Ravenhill who has written several books on prayer and revival he died very old in the early 90s so he's been he was around one of his and you'll hear a lot of quotes from him if you hear me talking but one of his quotes he said as long as the church is content to live without revival it will But we see the church active. We see the church growing amidst persecution as we go through the New Testament. Uh, understand the early church, and we'll talk more about this, the early church would spend every Tuesday and Thursday fasting and praying. Why Tuesday, Thursday? Well, the Jews did fast, or fasting on Monday, Wednesday, and they wanted to separate themselves and make people let them know that they were different. But when we see, anytime we see incredible movement in countries around the world right now it is usually because there is a group of people who are spending dedicated time alone fasting and praying because they can't imagine living a life without knowing God. In fact, in Acts chapter six, the people thought that prayer was so important. The people thought that their leadership spending time in prayer was so important that they assigned deacons and they say, hey, we'll serve. We'll do what you leaders are doing because we know how important it is for the leadership to be spending time just in prayer, just in studying, just in spending time with God so that you can lead us properly. As I was thinking about that, I was like, boy, I don't know if anyone's ever said, hey, I feel really convicted. I really should serve more so that the leadership at Hope can just spend time in prayer. In fact, I believe, and this is just what I've experienced, that for me, if I said, hey, uh, every morning, the first half of my day, I'm just spending time in prayer, I feel like I would be viewed as lazy. And it's a habit of we have to do. It's, again, it's that spiritual busyness we think is spiritual growth. By the way, if you'd like to know how you can serve at Hope Church, please come talk to us. In Acts chapter 6, we see people are serving because they know how important it is for the leadership to be able to spend time just praying. Which brings me to point number two. Jesus desires a relationship with you. Jesus desires a relationship with you. And again, you're like, well, yeah. But do we really know that? When we think about relationships, it's easy to think of your uh, spouse, uh, your roommate, your children, your parents, whoever is closest to you, and you think of those relationships. And if we compare that relationship with a relationship with Jesus, uh, it starts to give a good sign. So, I love my wife. But if we were to talk, and I was like, man, I love my wife so much, and you're like, really? Really? how much time do you guys get to spend alone? I saw her... Oh, let's see. Since we started this baseball league... um, March? About a year ago? You're like, oh, Rob, you don't love your wife. But when it comes to spending time with Jesus, alone time with Jesus... That's an acceptable answer because, hey, life gets busy. The difference between a relationship with a human being is human beings sin against each other. Human beings violate trust with each other. Human beings hurt each other. With Jesus, Jesus never ever needs to ask us for forgiveness. Jesus is perfect. God loved us so much that he sent his perfect son to earth to accomplish everything that was needed. Defeating sin, defeating death, he did everything so that we could have a relationship with God. And that God did that because he so desires a relationship with his creation. Jesus, he calls him the mediator. He is now between God and us fulfilling the ability to have that relationship, that because his body was broken, because his blood was shed, when we call on him and make him the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, when God looks at us, he sees his own son's righteousness, his own son's blood. No human has done that for you. Not your spouse, not your roommate, not your parents, not your children. But we love those people. We want to spend time with those people. When I was dating my wife and you were in that infatuation stage, you could ask me to do anything. Rob, you want to go to a Yankees game? I don't have tickets, but you can sit in the dugout. Um, No, I'm going out for trash tasting pizza with this girl I really like. It's at a gas station. True story, that was our first date. And the pizza was actually pretty good. But we have this perfect Savior that we have access to at all time who desires a relationship with us, and we will continually put that on the back burner. By the way, we should never lose that infatuation stage with a perfect Savior, Leonard Ravenhill said, the true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. He wrote several books on prayer, like I said, so I was tempted just to get up here for a while and just read excerpts from his book because there's too many quotes. The church, if we think about what causes a church to live, what causes a church to move in the right direction, and what does the church or should the church have its being, its very being in, is prayer. That time alone with God, set aside for him and him alone. Is it okay to pray while you do dishes, while you do laundry, while you're driving your car? Yes, absolutely, I highly encourage it. What does it look like to take time dedicated? If, every, if I said, hey, Tab, I got a great date tonight, You know how the kitchen and the laundry room are really close to each other? I'll do dishes, you do laundry, and we'll just chat. Again, you say, Rob, you don't actually love your wife. So yeah, it's good. And yes, we do have conversations, but I would never call that a date night. So what does it look like to have dedicated time with your Savior? As we jump into this application, I want to just start off by saying I don't think anybody here would tell me that they don't need more time to pray. Like afterwards, if you come up to me, you be like, hey, Rob, great message. Luckily, I did it. I pray enough. I'll see you in a couple weeks. I don't think anybody would disagree with me that we need to pray more. In fact, the people that I know who do this and dedicate time aside, and I think it was David Brainerd, uh, who was a minister, crazy story, his entire very short life, um, the entire time that he was in seminary and the seven years he spent preaching, I believe in the early 1700s, he had tuberculosis and was fighting illness before it finally took him, I think, at 29, but he was known for his praying. By the way, this isn't in my notes. I've just always been fascinated by David Brainerd. It said that he would get up at four in the morning and go outside to pray. And the people that he lived with in college one time heard him praying so loudly that they went out to make sure that he was okay. And he was praying so fervently that he was sweating And this is in New England, I believe at Yale. And as he was sweating so much, all the snow around him had melted just because that's how fervently he relied on God. That's how fervently he prayed. And one time, I believe it was David Brainerd, I may be wrong, uh, feel free to correct me, who said, I don't know, I'm spending four, I'm only spending four hours in prayer every morning and I don't know how to add more, but I must add more time to pray. So, again, the people that I know who pray and set that time aside are usually the people who be like, oh, I'm just not praying enough. And I'm always like, no, you did it. Good job. Because if you feel like you need to pray more, I'm in big trouble. And I don't think you'd disagree with me that prayer is important. So, the question becomes this is kind of how I want to focus the rest of our time, the next hour and a half together is the question becomes, how do we add more to a busy schedule? Because the other thing I think everyone tells me, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've never heard anyone say, hey, Rob, you got anything for me? I have so much free time. I mean, the six, eight kids basically take care of themselves now. They're all older than three. And I just have so much free time. So here's what I want to just point out before we jump into the questions. What we do, the actions that we take, is a reflection of what our heart truly desires. What we do is a reflection of what our heart truly desires. When you want to tell me what you really love doing, you normally don't have to because I can observe it already being done in your life. And I've gotten a little nicer in my old age. I used to just call people out and be like, oh, I'd love to do that, but I'm too busy. I was like, well, I mean, if it was, these are Yankees fans I'm talking to, if it was breakfast with Derek Jeter, you'd make it happen. Well, I mean, yeah, so don't tell me that you, you know, wish you could. Like, that's one of my funniest statements. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, you can. You're in charge. If you're in charge of your life. You can do it. Don't say you wish you could. You, you can make it happen. The truth is you don't actually want to. Like if you had three wishes, this is not one of the wishes you would wish for. So what we do is a reflection of what our heart truly desires. Jim Simbala, the uh, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, wrote, Prayer cannot truly be taught by principles and seminars and symposium. It has to be born out of a whole environment of felt need. If I say I ought to pray, I will soon run out of motivation and quit. The flesh is too strong. I have to be driven to pray. It comes down to that heart motivation of what truly drives us. So here we go. Three questions to consider. Question number 1. How important is prayer to you. By the way, we're going to be discussing these in community groups this week. If you're not in a community group, please, 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 please come talk to us. It's really where we see growth, it's where we see connection, it's where we see people being discipled. So please come and talk to us. But question number one How important is prayer to you? How important, if you want to put it the other way, how important is your personal relationship with Jesus to you? Going back to John 15, what are you willing to prune for more prayer? Again, we have a tendency to just keep adding stuff to our schedule. We have a tendency to say, well, that sounds good, I'll add it, or that doesn't sound good, so I'll tell the person maybe because I don't want to tell them no. That's a shot at how annoying I get when people say maybe to me. What are you willing to prune? Remember, John 15, he says, you are a vine attached to the van. And what do I do? Because I love you, I prune away what is useless. I prune away even things that are good because in order for you to bear the fruit that will last forever, pruning must happen. So when we evaluate our lives, we also have to go through and say, what needs to be pruned. Tab and I have been having this conversation for about three weeks. If we are going to spend more time in these personal spiritual disciplines, some things have to go. We have to have an order of what's important and what's not. Things must get pruned, and it is no fun at all but we do it knowing that it causes us to rely more on him and that we bear the fruit that will last. A saying you've probably heard me say many times is we always make sacrifices for what we truly worship. If you are wondering what you worship, look at what you sacrifice and what you sacrifice for. If you are sacrificing your family To spend time with friends, just know you worship your friends and you are willing to sacrifice your family for it. I use that as an example because I don't know anybody in here that's doing that currently. Uh, I had the, um, when I was working at a drug rehabilitation center and I was the intake counselor, uh, I had a phone call and um, there was a woman crying and she said, uh, My husband just got out of prison. And we just decided that because of his record, he couldn't get a job, and I could. So he's staying home with the baby. I would work. I couldn't get a hold of him. I had to excuse myself from work and run home, and he was gone. I have no idea. My baby has been by itself, six months old, for about three hours is what I can engage. He must get into your rehab center. And it was crushing to me that's how we are with any idol in our life. We sacrifice the things that we will never thought we would sacrifice for the things we truly worship. All of us, we can look at our calendars, we can look at our life, and we can find out what are the things I'm sacrificing, and whatever the things I am cutting out of my life to do this, this is what I'm truly worshiping. We will always make sacrifices for what we truly worship. Question number two. What do your prayers reflect about your relationship with God? What do your prayers reflect about your relationship with God? Are you communing with God? Are you having that sweet fellowship with him, where you're also hearing from him, where you're able to meditate on his word, where you're able to meditate, where you're able to think through, where you're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you in the way that he wants you to go, or do you go to God like as if you're going to the mall to sit on Santa's lap and tell him what you want? And that's fine. We can go to God with anything. That's not necessarily bad, but if that's all you're doing is you have this long list God, do this, it'll make my life better. It also shows and reflects what that relationship with God is. Do we see him as our savior and as our guide? We're going to get into this a lot more next week. Or do we think he is some cosmic dispenser of karma that we want to make sure we say our prayer right so we get what we want? Or do we go to him as a child knowing how desperately we need him and how desperately we need him to guide us? And question number three, whose will and glory do you seek in your prayer time? Whose will and glory do you seek in your prayer time? Does your prayer time reflect how badly you want to be seen better by others? Or does your prayer time say, I want people to know God through me? I want them to see me and know that there is a difference, not because of me, but because of how powerful and how glorious my Savior is. So three questions. How important is prayer to you? What do your prayers reflect about your relationship with God? Whose will and glory do you seek in your prayer time? And if you're married, don't answer those. Have your spouse answer those for you. Next, if we continue to do the same thing, we will continue to have the same results, right? Isn't that the definition of insanity? So how do we put it into practice this week? It is time to prune evaluate your week this coming week. I am terrible with schedules. But God in his sovereignty has given me an iPhone. And I have alarms that I can even name and set to go off repeatedly. I have a calendar that can remind me of stuff that will even give me directions to where I need to go and at what time. You just don't have an excuse So, keep a notebook with you. Everyone always laughs at me in staff meetings because I still use a legal pad and a pen. But keep track of your time this week. At the end of the day, go back through, write it down, and it will become apparent to you uh, the things that you may be able to prune. But evaluate your coming week. And then when you start this time of prayer, don't focus on necessarily you talking to God, although that is definitely part of communication, but... Focus on listening to God. And again, a lot more about prayer next week. But again, focus not on you talking to God, but by you listening to God. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress along with many, many books, he said, when thou prayest, rather let thy hear, let thy heart, start over. I don't don't use some of the words that he used. When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without heart when thou prayest rather let thy heart be without words than thy words be without heart it comes back to the heart if you're wondering what what do i pray uh, or maybe you've never Prayed through Scripture before, or you when you're reading, you're also spending that time saying, "How can I make this passage into a prayer between me and God?" That's why Will opened up with Ephesians chapter three. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse fourteen through verse twenty-one, Paul writes, "For this reason," and he's telling you, "This is how I pray." This is Paul talking to God in his alone time. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his that God would demonstrate himself as only he can, his immeasurable self that surpasses knowledge and can do above and beyond what we ask of him when we align our hearts with him and his will. Start there. So how do we do this? Pray. Start. Start putting it in your calendar. Uh, my wife and I was saying, if it doesn't exist on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Set it up in your calendar. There's tons of prayer apps, by the way, that can remind you with prayer requests. An alarm goes off with notifications of what to pray for and when to pray. Like, again, if you have a cell phone, you can do this. But just start. Start praying and asking the Holy Spirit. I love uh, Leonard Ravenhill has almost this beautiful... Uh, this writing and um, do we have it. On, we didn't have it on the screen, do we? Okay. If you want it, please. If you want my notes, just let me know. I can I can text them to you. I'm um, more than happy to do this. But Leonard Ravenhill wrote this talking about the Holy Spirit and how we make changes. He said, "The Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of power helpeth. Again, words I don't normally use. Helpeth our infirmity in prayer." The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of life, ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of wisdom, delivers us from ignorance in this holy art of prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of fire, delivers us from coldness in prayer. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of man, comes to our aid in our weakness as we pray. This is what we, as believers in Christ, have access to. We have access to this spirit to guide us. We have access to this God, this all-loving creator, forgiving, gracious, merciful God that so desires a relationship with you that he demonstrated through his son, Jesus. We have access to him. So what does it look like in my life? Am I spending that alone time with him? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the challenges that you give us. Lord, I thank you so much that you just don't leave us out saying, do this, see you later. Lord, you have loved us so much that you gave us salvation. Lord, you have loved us so much that you have given us your son. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this evening that does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would call out to you. Lord, I pray for us that know you, that your spirit would convict us, Lord, that we would make it the desire of our heart to know you more, that we would look to you for wisdom for what needs to be pruned out of our life, Lord, that we would just start if that's where we need to be. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are an all-powerful God. So, Lord, we come to you as brothers and sisters in Christ, not seeking what is best for us, but what is best for you. Lord, help us to grow in our weakness. Help us to grow knowing that it is because of us wanting to represent you and your glory.